Merry Christmas, by the way. We've said it uh, how many times? Not enough. That's right. So, I was going to do a different message this morning, and after running it through the wise counsel of my children, one of them said, Dad, that's way too technical on Christmas morning. I said, you know what? Sometimes it's good to listen to your kids. So, thanks to him, you're going to get a different message, but this is, this is hopefully what we need this morning. I'd like to ask and answer the question, why did Jesus come in the flesh, and what difference does that really make in your life? Now, if someone were to sit down and ask you, why did Jesus come in the flesh, what would you say? Well, hopefully after hearing Zach this morning, you would know one of the reasons, but I want to give you a few reasons why Jesus came and then make that very practical in our life and answer the question, how should that change us today? But you know, Christmas can be a dangerous time of the year for two reasons. One reason, we can go around in joyous celebration and sometimes forget that holidays oftentimes bring on pain in other people's hearts. For example, I was thinking about that this week, Many of us have lost dear loved ones that are close to us that we no longer have. And when that happens in our life, holidays bring on different types of emotions and feelings. And sometimes we can just bypass that in other people's lives and forget that sometimes holiday brings pain. God gives us an opportunity to share in people's pain, to speak with them, and to encourage them and to help them because Remember, as a believer, life won't always be like this. There will be one day when Jesus comes where we will say goodbye no longer. So we just go through this pain temporarily, but one day God will reverse that. There's another reason why Christmas is dangerous, and that is that we really forget the real meaning of Christmas. For example, if you went out into society today and you went out into other places of life, you probably would hear very little about the biblical meaning for Christmas. It's all about gifts. It's all about this. We no longer have a Christ or a Christmas tree. We have a holiday tree. Well, what in the world is a holiday tree? It's a Christmas tree. And why is that? Because Christmas is really all about Jesus. So I want to help you this morning answer the question... Why did Jesus really come in the flesh? So I'm going to give you three reasons. And then on the last reason, we're going to make this applicable to our life. But reason number one, and I want you to follow me closely. Jesus came in flesh to defeat the enemy in the Garden of Eden who deceived God's image bearer, man, into sinning against God. And when Jesus came in the flesh, He did that to deliver us, to defeat Satan and deliver us from the bondage of death. By the way now, every human being has a fear of death. Christians do not need to have that fear. Notice carefully in the text this morning, Hebrews chapter 2, this is what the writer says. Since therefore the children... Human beings share in flesh and blood. He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. 
flesh, and blood. That through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. In case you're wondering who that was, that was the devil. The one who deceived Adam, or deceived Eve, and Adam willingly gave in, and death came because of sin. Christ came in flesh to defeat Him, to destroy Him, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery or bondage. Now think with me for a moment. When Jesus came, He took on a body, a human being. No person had ever been resurrected in the form that Jesus had. Resuscitated, yes, never resurrected. So when Jesus came in flesh, He died on the cross, He did two things, at least two. He squashed the enemy, He stripped away His power, and He freed humanity. Those of us who know Christ and have trusted Him for everlasting life need not fear the power of death. Christian, we can be free from that because we know we live again. I don't know about you, that's pretty good news. Because there is one thing I'm going to guarantee you if Jesus doesn't come. Are you ready? You're going to die. You are going to die. Maybe not when you think you're going to die or how you think you're going to die, but I assure you, you're going to die. And in that moment of time, the greatest issue in your life is not going to be IRA accounts. It's not going to be who won fantasy football. It's going to be, what have you done with Jesus for the gift of eternal life that He's given to you? What have you done with Him? He has made this available to pay the debt of our sin, to defeat our enemy, and to destroy the power of death. Pretty good reason, okay? Number two, the second reason. He came to be your high priest and offer you everlasting life. Now, the writer of Hebrews was writing to a Jewish audience, and let me tell you how this worked. Back in that day, when when Jewish believers would go into the temple, not any person could just walk straight into the presence of God. In other words, if you did, you would die. The, The high priest had to go through a ritual. He had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin, and only one time a year could this man go into the holiest of holies, and take another animal's blood and pour it on top of this flat plate that overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant, which held within it some memorabilia important to the nation of Israel, the commandments, the manna, and so forth. And this was a picture of God's footstool. God was pictured as seated over top of this Ark of the Covenant, looking down on the broken commandments. And every year, once a year, the priest would go in and he would pour blood on top of this mercy seat as if God were looking down through blood into these broken commandments. And they would offer forgiveness of sin for all intentional sins of the people of that nation. You see, in the Old Testament, there was no sacrifice for intentional sin. If you decide to do something intentionally, You had to live by faith throughout that year that God would not strike you until the day of atonement, the day of release. And so once a year, 
All the Jewish nation would come together. The high priest would go in. He would offer atonement and sacrifice. And forgiveness would be granted to the people in that nation who paid attention. You can read about this, by the way, in the book of Leviticus. That's why God did it. And so when Jesus came and took upon flesh, listen to what he did. He became our representative before God. He gives us access at any moment and at any time to go straight into the very presence of God's throne room. And he did this because he took upon himself flesh and he died on our behalf to give us open access and entrance right into God's presence. Now folks, as a believer, when we understand what Jesus did, I think that radically changes our prayer life. God hears every word you say. God hears every thought of your heart that you can't pray. When you don't even know how to pray it, the Spirit prays for you. And you know what? He knows exactly what you go through. Listen to what this writer says in light of this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in his service to God. To make, big word here, satisfaction and removal of wrath for the sins of the people. That's what the word propitiation means. It means to satisfy and remove wrath. Jesus took upon himself flesh to become a high priest that he might satisfy and remove wrath for the sins of his people. For because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What a wonderful, faithful, incredible high priest. I've given you two reasons Jesus came in the flesh. What was the first one? You've already forgot it? John 3.16, listen to what he says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have, what? Eternal life. He is the great high priest for the sins of the people to give us a gift of everlasting life. And there's a third reason. And this is the one that's very applicable to us that changes the way we behave every day of our life. And that is, He came in His flesh to teach us humility and how to live before God and other men. Now what do I mean by that? Listen to Philippians chapter 2 very carefully. Paul tells this church, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So don't ever say that you can't have this mind, because Paul said it is yours as a believer in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, because of his submission, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Read carefully now. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee, you all read with me, should bow. And every tongue should confess. Notice it doesn't say shall in this passage. Now, Paul is directly quoting from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, the passage says, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess. Why would Paul change the word shall to should? Because he's making an appeal here on the basis of Christ's submission to God's will, what we should do. Now, believe me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But during this life, what should we do? We should bow. We should submit because He is worthy of that. And in circumstances in life, when it comes between our pride and God's will, what should we be willing to do? Exactly what Jesus did. We should be willing to humble ourselves and follow what He wants for us. Okay, I'm going to pick back up. Therefore God has highly exalted Him, bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility. Obedience. So there are three reasons Jesus came in the flesh. Now let's pound this one out a little bit about why and how God wants us to show and display this humility based upon what Jesus did for us. Well, four life lessons from this passage in Philippians chapter 2 the first life lesson is that relationships are central. They're central. It's fascinating to me how God creates humanity and puts us in the midst of each other so that we have to learn to get along. You know, take a marriage, for example. You take two opposite people and you join them together to make them one. They both have different interests. They both have different outlooks. And yet when they come together... If there is not a setting aside of one's self, there will never be harmony in a marriage. You know, some people say, well, you give 50% and you give 50% and that makes 100%. That's not how marriage works. You give 110% and she gives 110% and then maybe marriage will work, okay? It's, it's a constant giving of yourself for the other person. And what Paul tells this church in Philippi, there was problems in that church. Two people couldn't get along. And so he began to appeal to them based upon how Jesus humbled himself. This is exactly what we are to do. And so Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, I'm in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You know, I think that if we applied that principle in our life, 
it would take a lot of the hostility away. If we really did consider other people's needs ahead of our own, it would absolutely transform the way we live. Now, wouldn't you like to be able to convey this to your children when they're young? You know, don't put your interests ahead of, of, of others. Submit. And I'm sure our children would like to say, wouldn't you like to be able to teach this to your parents? Can you imagine the wonderful harmony? By the way, after 20-some years in the pastorate, it is, I'll, I'll just give you all a funny one. Kids know how to train their parents, by the way. For example, a mother and father says, well, we're going to keep our kid out in, in the church and we're not going to let them go back. And the kid says, you know what? I know how to go back. I know how to go out. I will start making noise and squealing and screaming until I embarrass my parents enough where they actually have to get up and take me out. So the kid will sit there and go, I want to go, I want to go. And then they'll start getting louder and louder. And finally the parent gets embarrassed and goes, oh my goodness, I've got to get him out. And the child goes, I know exactly how to do this. I watched this for years. And if you want to know how to break them from doing that, talk to my wife because she was a master at that. But anyway, if we learn to consider other people's interests more important than our own and that relationships really are central it would transform our life. Can I say something to you personally this morning? If you have a broken relationship with someone else that you can mend by humbling yourself and laying down your sword, do it. Do it. Holding the advantage of being right and being hateful is a terrible way to live your life. I'm going to tell you why. Because not only does it impact your relationship with someone else, it impacts your relationship with God. You, are, you will not model God's grace by holding grudges and unforgiveness against people. You have to let it go. Now this doesn't mean that every relationship will come back and have restoration. You know, there are times when people do things to you that are so bad and so heinous that you have to put up a big boundary. You can forgive them at a distance. You do not have to be best friends with them. But I do say this, you have to forgive them because if you don't, it'll hinder your relationship. The first lesson, Jesus forgave even his enemies. What does he tell us? Pray for your enemies. If somebody does something bad to you, what are you to do? Do something good. They don't know what to do. The next time somebody balls you out, bless them. You, th you think I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. It is funny. They say something very nasty to you or whatever, come back with some kind of kindness toward them. It just absolutely disarms them. Relationships are central. A second life lesson from his incarnation is humility is God's gift to us. One writer said, what is humility? He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. He said, it's not even thinking about yourself. In other words, you are really interested in the other person and you want what is best for them. Not in a selfish, twisted way, but in an honest way. So Paul writes here, do nothing from rivalry.
For conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can never say that God does not grant us humility and the ability to be able to do this. Yes, he does. Because Paul says, this is yours in Christ Jesus. So what are we to do? We are not to necessarily think less of ourselves. We are learned not to think of ourselves at all. We are to think of others. This is exactly what Jesus did in his incarnation. A third lesson, by the way, submission. It is essential. Paul writes here about Christ that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now can you imagine this conversation in the Godhead in eternity past? Does your mind ever go back and say, what was it like in the council of God when they decided, what are they going to do? You know, back in eternity past, Jesus is is said to be the lamb who was slain in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. So God was never caught off surprise by Adam and Eve's disobedience. He was never caught off surprise about the insurrection of our enemy, Satan. So somehow in this Godhead council, in the mystery of God, a plan was devised that God would create image bearers in his likeness that would rule upon the earth. That rulership was subdued in the Garden of Eden and somehow or another something happened and Satan, the enemy, temporarily became the God of this age, this world. And Jesus had to come in the flesh, point number one, to defeat him and to take away the power of death. you imagine what that was like to see the first death and say, where did they go? And now Jesus comes and dies and resurrects and He has defeated the power of death. I mean, very powerful. And so here we have this this Godhead council where Jesus is the one who willingly, although He is equal with God the Father in every way, decides to become flesh, to become like you and like me. And He is the one in the Godhead who decides to humble Himself and to come to this earth in total misrepresentation. God is so mysterious. Why would God send Christ in the womb of an unmarried virgin? Why would He not send Jesus back as full-grown man who comes back as like a Roman gladiator to establish a kingdom? Why Why in a virgin's womb who is betrothed? It's like it's being set up for misunderstanding. You want to know why? Because God is mysterious. And we do not know every angle and why God does certain things. But think about this. I'm going to tell my son, I'm going to get this in one way or the other. But think about this shroud of mystery. God coming in a betrothed, virgin's womb who had never known a man. And he would be born as an infant babe. 
You talk about causing someone to have to have faith. You're talking about causing someone to have total submission. Mary had it. She said, how shall this be, Lord? I have never known a man. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be found with child and you'll call His name Jesus. And yes, everybody's going to misunderstand you and they're going to call you all kinds of names, Mary, throughout your life. And they're not going to understand my plan and that's just fine. But you do what I say. And what did Mary say? I am your servant. I submit to you. Joseph finds his betrothed wife who he had not yet married to be with child. And he says, oh my gracious, honey, I'm going to have to, to go through the proceeding of divorce. You're pregnant. And she says, yes, honey, but trust me, I haven't been unfaithful. This is of God. And he says, yeah, right. Nothing like this has ever happened in human history. Trust me, I know science. It takes this and this. Something has happened. And she says, no, you're going to have to trust me. And Joseph goes and ponders about this. And all of a sudden, God, his messenger appears and says, Joseph, do not be ashamed to take Mary as your wife. Even though she's pregnant, and even though you haven't fully been married, do not be afraid to take her as your wife because what is being born in her is God. And what does Joseph say? Lord, we're going to be the talk of the town. <laughs> but as you wish, Lord, I will submit. Now we don't often think about the shame that surrounded that family. And by the way, even Jesus' own brothers when they grew up in His home, if you read John chapter 7, they were, they were unbelievers. They didn't believe who He was until He grew up and He began to prove exactly who He was. His mother then appealed to Him. His brothers, later His half-brothers would come along be writers of New Testament books, some apostles, and they would ultimately give their life because of Jesus. Submission to God's will. What does God want you to do? What, what is it in your life and my life that you're fighting with right now that God is asking you to submit to? Well, whatever it is, and the Holy Spirit makes it clear about that quick to you, doesn't He? Let me just say this. Every knee should bow to Him. That, that's for believers. We should. Surrender our way and submit to His will. It's essential. Powerful lesson. Work on the relationships. Remember to be clothed in humility because God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. Submission is essential if we want to go up in God's category. And then, remember this, rewards are coming. If we live this type of lifestyle in our Christianity, focus on others, clothe ourselves in humility, submit to God's will for our life, what does God say that He will do for us? He will reward His people. I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 6. 
I should have put it up on the screen. But I want to read this to you. As the writer of Hebrews here begins to explain to these Christian believers who are struggling with their faith, should we follow God? Should we do what He wants us to do? He writes in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. God remembers every act and deed that you do to submit. Read it one more time. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. God never forgets. He will reward His people for faithful obedience to Him in this life. This is why Jesus came in the flesh. And this Christmas, if God gives us opportunities to share with people, we should take advantage of that and let them know what the real reason for the season really is. It's Jesus. It's God's incredible gift that He gave Him to us that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but we would have everlasting life. Do you know this morning, if you would close your eyes in death, that you would enter everlasting life because of what Jesus has done for you? Have you believed on Him as your Savior? If you haven't done that, that is the best Christmas present that will ever be given to you. And God gives that as a free gift. And all you have to do is believe. And you can do it right where you're sitting. Lord, I believe on you for eternal life because of what you've done for me on the cross. You've made it possible and I trust you as my Savior. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's simple faith. And that faith, even though it be the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said it could move a mountain. I'm going to tell you something else. It can get you eternal and everlasting life because of the one who gave that sacrifice for your sin. And I urge you this morning, receive His gift. It's the greatest gift you'll ever have. So Father, I pray this morning and give thanks to Your name for what You have done for us. Thank You for Jesus, the one who was willing to sacrifice Himself to become flesh so that He might destroy our enemy, that He might free us from bondage, that He might become our great high priest and satisfy your wrath and give us eternal life. And also, Father, that he might teach us humility and how we are to live before you and our fellow man. Help us to be clothed in humility as our Savior, to submit to you and to do your work that you have placed us in this life to do. And may we be fully conscious of you, not just through Christmas, but throughout the rest of our lives until Jesus returns. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well.